right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 233, and this is kind of trivia, uh, a trivia to go with number number 233, except it's kind of predictive trivia, which probably doesn't exist. But like I said last week, on episode 232, that 232 women have been capped by the U.S. Women's National Team, by the senior U.S. Women's National Team. And, you know, there's a player on the She Believes roster who I really hope will be number 233. Uh, And I'm not going to hold my breath, but, but I do hope that maybe she'll get to be number 233 in the next week or so. So that's my predictive trivia number. All right. Two great chats today. First with Kieran Tevum of Equalizer Soccer. He's based in the UK and Kieran has covered women's soccer passionately, professionally, and on top of his regular job for several years. Um, Kieran and I talked about England's latest roster and how he thinks Phil Neville's squad will handle the three she believes opponents. Then I caught up with Jason Anderson of Black and Red United, the site that covers DC soccer to talk about the Washington Spirit's newest signings, particularly the Australians, and also their new coach, Richie Burke. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Karen Tevin from the UK, of course, all the way from London, Equalizer Soccer longtime reporter and of course you used to do that awesome podcast that you don't do anymore Karen so we won't talk about that but but Karen let's talk the England roster for for she believes yeah I mean obviously you mentioned before we came on to recording Jen and of course thank you as always for having me on it's always a pleasure uh Phil Neville's now been in the England role for for just over a year he started out pretty much with the she believes cup last year and and he's been speaking quite positively about this competition he sees it as a really good test for for the upcoming world cup and obviously three very strong teams that that england will come up against and the day that we're recording this segment is the day that he's announced his his roster for she believes and no real surprises in there if you want me to be honest i think that if you look at the reaction on social media no one is particularly shocked or surprised by by the 23-player roster that he's announced. Obviously, those uh, who have an interest in, in the NWSL, I'm sure will be no doubt pleased that Rachel Daly and Jodie Taylor both make the roster. But I think there's probably a few unfortunate players, a few that are a little bit unlucky, who've, who've been doing very well for their clubs this year. But it doesn't, matter, it doesn't seem to matter how well they're playing for their clubs because they haven't had the opportunity to be included. And who would those players be? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the most notable is the the brilliantly named Bethany England. Uh, Beth, <laughs> we are we are we are waiting for England for England. Uh, but Beth England plays for for Chelsea Women. Uh, she had a loan spell with with Liverpool last year, and she did really well for Liverpool in a side that struggled a little bit. She's come back to Chelsea, and she's been given a really good run by coach Emma Hayes. You know, Chelsea are not short of attacking options. They've got the likes of Fran Kirby, who also makes the roster. They've got Ramona Backman, who people will know from from her international caps with Switzerland. But Beth has been keeping both of them out of the team, especially in the last few weeks. I think Fran is coming back from you know, a bit of uh, an injury problem. And, and Ramona, I, I can't explain why Ramona hasn't got the minutes that she's been getting. But you know, one of the reasons I can give is that, that Beth England has been playing really well for her. Her club has been scoring goals, has been, has been influential for the side. 
And it doesn't seem to have mattered how well she's played because she's not included. So she would definitely be one. And I think there's probably a, a bit of a question mark over the goalkeeping situation. Now, you have a, uh, a a position at the moment where there are three goalkeepers, Karen Bardsley, Mary Erbs and Carly Telford. Karen Bardsley is rotated quite regularly with Manchester City's other goalkeeper, Ellie Roebuck. Carly Telford is essentially the second choice goalkeeper behind Hedvig Lindau. Now, I, I, I don't have an issue with Carly being in, included because I rate her incredibly highly, but she doesn't mm-hmm. play as many games as someone who's playing week in, week out, for example. And right. the other one is, is Mary Earps. Now, Mary Earps went to Wolfsburg at the start of this season knowing that she would be the second choice goalkeeper behind German international Almut Schult. Now, Mary hasn't played a huge amount of football this season. And that begs the question, why is someone like, for example, Sophie Bagley, who plays for Bristol City, has been nominated and won the the PFA Player of the Month or one of them Player of the Month awards. We have a few over here, so I can't remember exactly which one it was. But Sophie has been outstanding for Bristol City women this season and she hasn't had a look in. So the question that some people are having on social media is why is it that players in form are not being selected for England and why are players who aren't necessarily always starters for their club being given a chance ahead of them? Interesting. Interesting. Now, how does that play out with uh, some of the field players? Are you seeing that as well, not just the the goalkeepers? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely with with Beth England, I think she is one. I think that there is a a young defender that we have over here, Aoife Mannion. Aoife plays for Birmingham City. Birmingham are a horrendously underrated side. And I know some Birmingham fans don't like them being seen as underrated, but they are because they don't get the credit that they deserve. They have a lot more ability than, than people give them credit for. They work hard. They have the, they really do give the top teams. Well, they are one of the top teams at the moment when you look at the WSL table, but they give those stronger sides like Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, very difficult games. Anifa Mannion is a defender for Birmingham who consistently plays well pretty much every week and she cannot get a look in at the moment. Um, and there are players like, I'm going to looking down the list, Abby McManus, for example, at Manchester City. Abby is a, is a, is a really, really good defender, played at the She Believes Cup last year from what I remember. But Abby's been injured. Abby hasn't been playing for Manchester City over the last few weeks they've been using Gemma Bonner who has been called up to the England squad and hasn't played for the team since the end of 2017 they've called up Gemma Bonner because Gemma Bonner has been playing in Abby McManus's position for the last few weeks because Abby's been out injured so there are question marks as to why a player like Abby who is who is absolutely good enough to be on that roster and is good enough to go to the World Cup but she's not been playing because of injury. So how is it that she's got ahead of someone like Aoife Mannion, someone like Gabby George at Everton, who has also been included in, in some of Phil Neville's squads? And another notable absentee that American fans will notice from that roster is Chioma Ubagagu. Obviously, Chioma right. was, brought, was brought in towards the end of last year for because of her form for Orlando. Obviously, Phil had, had recognised that the Chioma, uh, I think she was born in London, wasn't she? And has, has definitely got some some British roots or English yes. roots, should I say? Yes. 
Chioma has uh, has been left out of this roster, having done quite well for England in the matches that she played towards the end of last year. So not quite sure what the thinking is behind that one because um, I thought Chioma had, had done quite well down in Brisbane in the W League. Some people responded to a tweet that I put out saying, actually, do you know what, Kieran? She wasn't that great. She was kind of hit and miss. So... You know, I don't get to see as much of the W League as I would like. My what I did see, she looked good, but maybe uh, maybe Phil's watched a bit more of her than I have, and uh, and has found that she hasn't been as as influential for Brisbane as as maybe some thought. Well, and we know that the the FIFA deadline for provisional rosters for the World Cup is basically the end of April. That's when submit a list of anywhere between 23 and get this 50 players <laughs> for their provisional roster. Uh, of course, the the teams are not required to make that list public. That's really an internal list for FIFA, but we know that that's the deadline. And then uh, I haven't seen the specific date, but I guess it would be 10, 10 days to, to three weeks out you know, for your final 23. And of course, if you need us, if you need an alternate because someone got injured in that final period, then of course they have to come from your provisional roster. But my point is with that late April deadline, but we have the FIFA April window. Do you think perhaps Phil Neville would call in just a few different people that last kind of round and see, okay, who's on the bubble or maybe use that April window to firm up uh, a starting lineup. Yeah, I think I think the latter, Jen. I think this She Believes Cup was an opportunity for Phil to maybe have a look at a few different players. Some of those that I mentioned, Sophie Bagley, Beth England, but I don't I don't see many new players coming in now. As I say, you look at the twenty three player roster that he's announced for the She Believes Cup and and as I said, there's no real shocks there. None at all. I th- I think he's pretty set on the players that that he's got in there. I think he's pretty set on the personalities that he's got in there. And and that seems to be a big thing for, for coaches these days. It's not just how good are the players and how well do they fit my system, but it's also what are they like off the pitch? How well do they get on? What are they like when they are not on the field and having to be around each other, you know, days or in a tournament situation, weeks on end, can they, uh, can they integrate? Can they get on with each other and, and make sure that it's a harmonious kind of group? I think that a lot of coaches look at that now. And I think that Phil looks at the 23 that he's got for this She Blues Cup. There will probably be a, a few you know, changes here and there. Millie Bright, for example, who played at the She Believes last year, is out injured. She's unavailable for this for this tournament. And Jade Moore is another one um, who's working her way back after a long injury. So those two probably are are in the running, but I don't I don't see a lot of others having much of an opportunity to break into this squad. Well, and I think about um, you know England finished third last time, their highest finish ever. You know they were also in the semifinals for the Euro Summer 2017. I mean it, this is a team that that's knocking on that door, you know so. You know, I, I'm sure he, Phil Neville's thinking about that that too. Like it's 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 funny how part of me still doesn't put England in that contenders group because it really wasn't until 2015 that they reached the next level, and then they they've stayed up there. And and when I look at uh, the performances for the from the previous three 
she believes, you know, they're, they're a contender, you know? So I, I love that that we have this tournament in a way than compared to Algarve Cup, where you're really pay, playing the best competition you can. You know, Algarve yeah. it would would always be, uh, you know, hit or miss uh, de- depending on your group. Um, and of course, it was four days in that same four four games in that same period. And I think it's interesting now that Algarve has gone to groups of three, where you play two games and then you get a placement match. Um, but anyway, my long-winded point, um, you know, what are you expecting uh, from England out of these matchups against Brazil, Japan, and of course, the USA? Well, they need to be better than they were in, in their friendly matches towards the end of last year because they, they weren't at their best and Phil Neville was very open that they weren't clinical enough. They, they beat Brazil 1-0 uh, at Notts County's ground and uh, they weren't they weren't great that day. Brazil were terrible as well, which which didn't help. I, I would hope that Brazil are better when they face each other at She Believes. They drew with Australia, despite the fact that Australia really didn't offer very much and were very off colour. Uh, and they drew that one. And then they, they beat Austria, but lost to Sweden. And they lost to Sweden quite comfortably as well. They were not in that game really very much at all. So they need to be better. Uh, I think what he probably needs to do is he needs to figure out his his best 11 and the style of play that he wants to adopt because I'm sure what we see in She Believes won't be too different to what we see in the opening game of the World Cup in June. But I expect three difficult matches. I expect them to to have a difficult match against the US. The US obviously were, were in tremendous form in 2018. They've had uh, a couple of games together already in, in the games that I went and covered for equalizer soccer against France and Spain. Uh, so they're going to be probably a little bit uh, more better prepared than, than they were in, in those two matches. Uh, Japan, we know what we're going to get from them. Very technical. We'll probably have periods of the game where they have a lot more of the ball than England. So England are going to have to figure out ways of kind of shutting down uh, that, that opportunity that Japan will no doubt create because they can really wear you down with, with essentially chasing shadows. And then Brazil's the one I really don't know, Jen. You know, I, I watch Brazil and sometimes I think they're absolutely majestic. And then I watched them against England in October last year and they were honestly, they were embarrassing. It was really, really evident that they did not want to be there. The weather was horrible. And I hate applying the weather to, to teams because it's it's a cliche and it's, it's stereotyping, isn't it? It's like Brazil and South American teams don't like playing in the cold. I, I don't I don't buy into that. You know, some of these players play in leagues where the weather is not that great, but they just did not seem up for it at all. So I really don't know what to expect from Brazil because they've got game changers in that squad, but they have to be on it and they have to be up for it. So I think England are in for three big tests. Uh, how big they are, I, I wouldn't be able to say at this stage. Yeah, and, and Brazil, to me, is one of those women's teams where we know they have such incredible talent, um, but they don't have consistent federation support. Um, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, players retire out of protest. And I think we've seen the the on-field results of, of that kind of lack of support like you're talking about. It probably wasn't because the weather was bad. It was probably you know, how camps are run or how, you know, or, you know, just the, the stability of a program. And it's such a shame when we know that they're so talented, but I, I like how you describe it. It's like, 
you don't know which Brazil you're going to get. You know, it, it could be it could be the, you know, the, the team that was on the verge of winning a World Cup, you know, in, in 2007 um, or, you know, a, the team that lost to Australia in the round of 16 you know, in, in 2015. But, uh, but I'm really looking forward to this tournament um, with this group of teams, especially that it's a little bit of a change up from the last three She Believes, you know, so instead of an all European slate that, you know, we, we've got four different uh, confederations represented, you know, so I, I yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a great She Believes. So any last thoughts uh, from across the pond about the England squad or just the tournament in general or, or even World Cup coming up? No, I, I, as I said before, I think this is a, a really good test. And I, I like what the point that you've made there, that this is an opportunity for all four teams to test themselves against, uh, you know, teams from different confederations. You know, European sides tend to have very similar styles. So when the US play Germany, France and England, they're going to get relatively similar kind of matchups but we as we said you know there's the unpredictability of brazil there's the technical possession-based football of japan and what's interesting is that you don't tend to find very often that teams want to play opposition size that they're going to play in a major tournament so soon before the competition let's not forget that england and japan are in the same group in france they are due to play each other during the world cup so I wonder how much each side is willing to give away or how much of, a, of their hand they're willing to show. Because if I'm Phil Neville, I want to keep a little bit back. You know, I don't, right. want, to, I don't, I don't want Japan to know my lineup. I don't want them to know everything about in terms of the style of play that I'm going to play. I don't want them to know, you know, what, substitute tactical adjustments I might make during the game or substitutions I might make to look. So I do wonder if we'll see a little bit of gamesmanship in that England Japan game where Phil Neville makes a few changes and, and keeps them guessing. And likewise, Japan may well do the same as well. Might be that Japan are thinking, do you know what? Let's keep a little bit back. Let's keep a bit in reserve for, for when the world cup comes around and let's keep England guessing a little bit. Let's, let's make them think that we're going to play a certain way and we'll play you know, differently when actually it really, really matters. But like you, She Believes Cup's a, a really interesting competition. I know that there were doubts as to how long it would last, but I'm, I for one, I'm glad that it's continued on for as long as it has. And as you said, it's nice to see some different teams from different confederations competing in this year's competition. Well, and Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, to talk about all this with me and, you know, and shout out to all the work you've done over the years, um, you know, to stay connected to this game, because it's, you know, I want to give you the shout out because it's something you were doing on the side of a regular job. And I don't think everybody always realizes that. I appreciate it, Jen. I appreciate it a lot. Jen Cooper, the Keeper, here with Jason Anderson, editor for blackandredunited.com, which, of course, is based in D.C., covering D.C. soccer. Jason, thanks for taking the time to talk D.C. soccer, specifically, of course, we should say, Washington Spirit. Thanks for having me on. So some some big news last week uh, out of the Spirit, two Australian signings. 
which was really exciting to see. And then, of course, wait, what happens over the weekend? Those two signings, along with Aubrey, Aubrey Bledsoe, win the W League Grand Final. So, I mean, you couldn't have scripted that better. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a great way to make a first impression um, to get signed, you know, two or three days, I want to say, before the grand final. Maybe not even that many days. Um, time is kind of uh, – I'm coming down with a little bit of a cold, so I'm kind of not sure how when anything happened anymore. Um, but I know they <laughs> did I know they did happen. It just the, – the chronology is messed up. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a nice way to be able to – especially to some of our readers that – don't necessarily follow women's soccer that closely to say like, Hey, these are two players. They play for Australia. They play for a team that's playing in the championship game. Uh, it's coming up. You can watch it on ESPN plus you don't have to do anything complicated to see this. Um, so that was nice uh, from my end of things to try and, um, you know, get people maybe a little more excited about it than the, than they normally would in these scenarios. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's something the spirit talked about back at the draft. Um, both uh, Richie Burke and the team president, Chris Hummer, mentioned that they had two internationals coming in, that they were really excited about it. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, the rumors were that they were going to be Australians. So I spent a lot of time looking over recent Australian rosters, trying to figure out what the spirit might need, um, which is to say I spent a lot of time looking at defenders um, uh, because the spirit <laughs> are still pretty short on defensive players. Um, but Logarzo was definitely one that I was thinking, you know, she's maybe the biggest name on the Australia roster um, as far as an up and coming player that hasn't come over yet uh, to NWSL. Um, she did play in the old USLW league, but um, as far as the last few years, she hasn't been over here yet. So um, it did that one, that one kind of made sense to me. Um, Harrison, I, I have to admit, I kind of, um, she kind of fallen off my radar because of the knee injuries that she'd suffered. Um, but the fact that she's been playing as a fullback uh, for Sydney for a chunk of this season was probably uh, pretty good news for the spirit. Um, the fact that she played when she came into the W league final, she played at right back, which right now the spirits depth chart at right back is players that haven't really played any right back. Um, so that's a, that's a big plus. Um so yeah, it sounds like a pretty good move. I know the team is very excited about um, both players. That they were, you know, they was almost. I had the feeling they almost couldn't contain themselves from saying that these are the players coming in. So um, that's it's good. I think it kind of pointed to a different vibe around the team overall, not just for these signings, but just in general. It seems like they've maybe turned a corner a little bit. I think it helps. They have this ownership change coming in. Um, this still hasn't been made official yet, as far as I know, but um, we all know it's coming down uh, pretty soon. Right. Um, but there's apparently going to be some significant investment off the field um, to improve standards here. And um, I think that has sort of lifted the spirits of the group. And, um, you know, not pun, pun unintended, I guess I have to admit. Um, but uh, it's a team that probably needed it. They needed somebody to sort of lift them up a little bit, some, some sort of incident to – um, you know, lift lift the group because 2018 was just uh, horrific from start to finish. Well, and, and I, I like how you describe it as turning the corner because sometimes just one management change or one big signing, and in this case, you have both, can really you know change 
change the momentum for a club, change, change the energy ar- around the club, you know, mm-hmm. be that, be that spark in, in the locker room or just, you know, just that, that change that really helps. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's certainly, it seems like if I had to characterize and I've only, um, spoken to Richie Burke once, um, right after the draft, um, ironically, I've, I'm, you know, getting up there, uh, in years. And I actually saw him play on a Jim Gabara coached indoor soccer team, uh, the Washington Warthogs back in the day. Um, that is so awesome. Which is, is Do you have pretty pictures. Do you have a program? That's so great. I don't, I, don't th- I have an old ball, like a souvenir ball that they gave out to fans. One of those like size two, um, balls with the Warthogs logo. Um, if people, <laughs> people should probably do like a Google image search on the Washington Warthogs just to see their jerseys, which looked like a jungle. Um, which was pretty dramatic. I think maybe we could do with a little of that in our um, kit design these days has uh, kind of gone towards completely boring. So something weird would be nice. Um, but yeah. The, I think the difference between the two in, you know, between Gabara and Burke, I would say at this point is that Burke seems really enthusiastic about, you know, kind of lifting his players, kind of giving them a um, pep talk, giving them some, some, uh, some spark. Whereas Gabar was very focused on a lot of, with a lot of the young players on the team, especially it seemed like he wanted to keep everyone's feet on the ground um, and not let them get ahead of themselves. And so there was a lot of, um, I have to be honest, I don't think X was that great or this, that, and the third. Um, and after the last two years, I think the last thing these players, players need to be told is, you're not doing this that well. You're not doing that that well. I think they need some confidence back. Um, and it does seem like that might be a, uh, a strength for, for Burke. Um, he did say that um, he'll, he and Tom Torres have known each other forever. So um, Tom will still be on the staff and there will sort of be like, a, um, I think, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, Richie said that they're like yin and yang, they kind of, their strengths sort of dovetail pretty nicely. Um so that's that's a plus, um, but it you know it remains to be seen. We still have we have no track record for him as a professional coach of uh, women, um, right? Right. So that side of it is um, a little hard to judge. One of our one of our writers at Black and Red United, uh, Ryan Kiefer, uh, used to cover DC United's under twenty three team when Burke was the coach, um, and he says you know it, he he gets he gets what he's supposed to be doing. He seems um, at least, you know, I'll, I'll take Ryan's word for it on it because um, that team played way out in uh, Leesburg, Virginia, and I'm I live near the Chesapeake Bay, so that's a that's a haul I was not able to make. Um, but he seemed like um, he thought a Burke coach team was a solidly coached team. He didn't see a group where he was like, "What are these guys doing?" Um, so that's you know that could be a plus, but it's still I think it's very much it's very reasonable for fans across the league to be, you know, giving a little bit of a side eye to the whole thing until we start to see something uh, a little more positive. Right. And, and we've seen this before in NWSL and, you know, just like, you know, my hometown team, someone who it's like has coaching experience, but not necessarily club coaching experience. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, you know, and I like hearing that he and Tom Torres know each other, but what happens, you know, to Katie Joe Spizak? Um, you know, it, it seems clear that Brian Ascuri's gone, but, you know, what, mm-hmm. what can you say about the, the other assistants? What do you know? 
Uh, uh, Katie Joe is still on the staff. Um, they they changed the job titles. Um, I don't exactly recall. They were all a little more almost corporate sounding, um, but mm-hmm. she's still there. She's still um, going to be involved as an assistant coach and also, I believe, is going to be involved with the Spirit Reserves, though I did see that um, tweet from almost a month ago at this point that had a list of, I want to say, UWS teams that the Spirit Reserves were not listed. Um, so uh-huh. I'm not sure what's I'm not sure what's happening there. But when they sent the press release, they specifically mentioned that she would maintain her post as the head coach of the Spirit Reserves, and they went out of their way to mention that that team hasn't lost a regular season game in three years. So at the time they wrote that, it seemed like pretty obvious that they were going to carry on with that. So um, she was there on draft day. Uh, so as far as I know, she's still. Um, it's it seems like her position has ultimately not really changed. It's the same as it as it was before. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Just always, you know, curious about that. And, and it's one of the the things I've always given the spirit credit for when, even when a lot of other things were going wrong. Um, I, I don't feel like people gave them enough attention for having a fair amount of female assistant coaches uh, where, Hey, if we want more female head coaches, it helps if some of them can get their foot in the door being an assistant coach. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, thinking it's it's like, hey, you know, there's an opportunity for for Katie Joe. I don't I don't know her as a coach though, so I can't say, oh yeah, she she should be spirit coach. But it's just, you know, it, it's it's nice to see clubs uh, that you know dedicate dedicate space to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so let's like, let's keep. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it does seem like organizationally, they took the spirit reserves more seriously. It wasn't just, well, we'll throw something together and um, get a bunch of good college players and they'll just win games because they have more talent than everyone. It seemed like they really did emphasize doing well there. It wasn't just something slapped together. It was something that the organization takes some pride in. Nice, nice. Well, let's let's go back to talking about the Australians, Chloe Legarzo. Amy Harrison, those are the two new Australian signings. And of course they were on the sky blue. I think it's so funny that that team is sky blue. It's Sydney right. FC um, wearing sky blue winning uh, the W league grand final last weekend, along with uh, American Sophia Huerta. Um, let's see, Alyssa Motts and Savannah McCaskill. And, and maybe, maybe Rachel Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, she's on the uh, no, she's with Prick. Yeah. Um, but you saw that you saw that game. I'd say I saw about half of that game. It, you know, of course, we had to stay up pretty late to see that game. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on, on on watching that game, especially watching the players that are you know playing on the Spirit? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, it's been kind of a long winter with not a lot. Um, you know, the Spirit didn't make the playoffs. DC United was in the playoffs for a, a handful of days, um, so it's been a long time. <laughs> without games um yeah yeah excited about um the w league generally um a lot of those games the 12 30 games i can do because i'm a night owl but if they go they start at 2 30 on the east coast i can't do it um so this was it was a good time for it to start i was thankful for that and then we got this really great game of soccer um which was really fun to see that um you know, Sydney took the lead and they didn't back off and say, let's go into a shell. They said, let's keep going and go get more goals. Um, and, and Perth stayed, um, you know, they were a counterattacking 
team on the day, but they kept actually being a threat, which was nice. Um, I thought Legarzo did a pretty good job keeping, helping keep Sydney driving the play forward. She, she helped them maintain that tempo that they wanted to keep. Um, you know, I thought it was handy for them that they, you know, the breakouts that Perth managed seemed to be down the wings rather than up the middle, which is, you know, generally a good sign for a central midfielder. Um, the goal she scored was pretty spectacular um, on a day where everything Sydney seemed to be doing uh, ended up being fairly spectacular. Um the, the other two goals in the first half were pretty incredible. Um, so that that part was great. I like the celebration uh, as well, which is, <laughs> is a, a nice positive to have. Um, Harrison, you know, she played, I think, the last 13 minutes, give or take, I want to say. Um, and she came in at right back, which, you know, as I mentioned before, that's a huge position of need for the spirit. Um, it looks to me like she's comfortable playing with both feet. Um, she'll bring some height. Uh, she'll bring some technical ability uh, that, um, you know, last year with Taylor Smith, it's not that she's lacking in technical ability, but she's a more direct player. And I think Harrison is a little more of a possession style uh, at that position, uh, maybe coming from mm-hmm. the midfield. That's sort of her, um, her mindset. And I think that's what Burke would like. I, I get the sense that that's what he would like. He, he, he made a point at the draft of saying that he wanted his team to keep the ball and play attractive soccer and, that yes, they're young and they might get pushed around by some of the more direct teams, but he was willing to stick to it. Um, it seems like he's very much going to um, stick to those guns when it comes to things. So that might, um, you know, if that's his intention for um, where she's going to play on the field, um, that would make a lot of sense. So overall, I thought a pretty good, um, both players left a pretty good impression on me. Um, I am curious what they plan to do with Lagarzo and Tori Huster and Andy Sullivan. Um, I, I I can't shake the suspicion, and this is purely my own speculation. I can't shake the suspicion that Huster might be playing center back just down to the fact that the roster just doesn't have um, many natural center backs on it. Um, mm-hmm. And if you add Lagarzo and if he wants to play 4-2-3-1, for example, you add Lagarzo, you have Sullivan, Houston's going to be on the field somewhere. She might play center back again. Um, but I, you know, I haven't seen this team so much kick a ball. Um, so I'm, I'm really just sort of stabbing in the dark. It is just something I, I kind of, I'm keeping my eye on, I guess. Yeah, you, you have to, because, mm-hmm. you know, we know at this time of year, some of the rosters are, are in such flux because like we haven't even seen the list of allocated players, you know, Canadian or American mm-hmm. or for 2019, you know, we know people on all teams of some players have been extended contracts, but they haven't necessarily signed, you know, there could always be trade. So yeah, trying to figure out, all right, who's going to play what and how is this going to work? And, and of right. course you mentioned Taylor Smith and, you know, fortunately she tore her ACL early in the W league season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she's out for the year, but you do have Shayna Matthews coming back um, yes, after is, missing last big. year from maternity leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's huge. And it was so cool to see that she got called up uh, to her first training camp with Jamaica last month. Yeah, uh, her and uh, Havana Salon, who, you know, has already moved on to Norway, but it was still um, cool for both of them um, to, to see that opportunity uh, come to fruition. Um, Matthews, I mean, th- I, I've been saying to anyone that'll listen to me that the spirit in 2018 
badly missed having her on, around because when they had attacking injuries, it was always well we're we're down we're we're one two one two few attackers uh, to really make something happen. Um, they didn't have that much speed. They didn't have that much um, of a dribbling threat outside of uh, Pew for the most part. Um, and having a second player that can bring that to the field, it would have been huge. Um, but you know, for a good reason, she was unavailable. Um, but yeah, it seems like she's super excited to get back out there. Um, just, you know, from social media, um, the, the Jamaica thing is really cool. The fact that they're going to be in the world cup is very cool. Um, so, uh, that should be, it should be really nice. Um, it will, you know, if she makes that team and I feel like she should, um, then that's one more player missing during the, uh, the world cup, uh, section of the the schedule but you know you got to be happy for players that make it at that level um rather than you know sitting around and just complaining about um how they've left you short because they they went elsewhere it's you know it's a good thing so um hopefully that works out for her and hopefully she starts the season uh in the form she had in 2017 where i think she had five goals five assists something like that um wow she had a really good season. It was just kind of a low key season because the 2017 spirit also struggled, but she played really well. She really grew as a player and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing her back out there. So you're feeling pretty good about the spirit 2019. Uh, what do you think? Better, better certainly than uh, before. Um, you know, I'm still very skeptical of the team's ability to defend well enough to really contend for a playoff spot. Um, you're, you know, they're banking a lot on, um, Sam Staub and Tegan McGrady being instant high end starters in the league. Um, they're both very good players, but you know, anytime you've got a rookie, um, that you're banking on as a starter, we don't see too many rookies getting that many minutes in NWSL these days. So, um, it's a big bet on those two players. Um, but I think if, if there's just a simple change in approach, I think this team gets a lot more dangerous that we, we don't have to worry about going 700 something minutes without seeing a spirit goal. Um, you know, they just need to be a little more willing to play in behind and be a little more, uh, aggressive on the ball and not just trying to keep it forever. Um, and I think if they start getting out on the front foot a little more, uh, all of a sudden games get a lot easier if they're not just sort of waiting for the other team, you know, the other team would wait them out and get a goal and the game kind of is over at that point. That was how last year sort of felt. Um, it's not soccer shouldn't be a first goal win sport, but it felt that way a lot last year. Um, and this year, I think if they're just a little more positive, it seems like a lot of the players have used their uh, off season to sort of um, reacclimate themselves. Uh, some of the players that, weren't available that much. You know, Ariel ship barely, barely played any games. Uh, she came back right at the end of the season and then, you know, played, I think two or three games and then the season was over. Um, you know, that's another player they definitely could have used more of last year. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's reason to look at this roster and say, this team should at least be okay. Um, they might not be a playoff contender. It might be a year or two before that's the case, especially when, you start taking international players away. Um, what the midfield looks like might be a little bit uh, iffy, but at least there's some growth there. There's some room for optimism. Whereas after about 10 games last season, it was like, this isn't going to get better. Um, this is going to keep being a, a rough thing to, to watch. Um, I think there's, and there's a, 
I haven't spoken to that many players or anything like that, but it, it does feel like people are starting to come around with the organizational changes with um, uh, just a fresh start in general. I think the whole, the whole organization probably needed that. So um, I think they will be better. They might be more like a 20, the 2017 version of the team, which could score goals and just couldn't keep them out. But at least that's something to build on rather than a team that scored 12 goals in a 24 game season. And a big factor, of course, for how the team does over the course of the whole season is does Andy Sullivan uh, make that World Cup roster or not? So, you know, she's been called up for She Believes. You know, she kind of hadn't been, you know, called up very much during 2018, mm-hmm. but she's been getting the call again. So, you know, that's always a huge factor in these World Cup years because if that player makes the roster, that's a good 9, 10 games out of 24 um, that they can miss. Though by the same token, of course, a club is always excited when you've got players on the national team. So, you know, it's exciting to see Pew and Lavelle and Sullivan, you know, get the call from a fan perspective, but you've got to balance it out. It's like, wait, that's three great players. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know um, Burke was very upfront about being positive about, he, he said, you know, it's, it's great that those players are in contention. He really hopes that all three of them get a call rather than just um, Lavelle and Pew. He wants the, that whole trio to go. Um he wants the Aussies to to get their call up because I think he gets it. You know, this is potentially a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, to, to, you know, bring it close to home, uh, Logarzo's ankle injury from the W league final, if that result comes back and it's terrible news that could put her out of the world cup. Um, so, right. you know, I, th- I think as an organization, they, they aren't going to spend any time, you know, being upset at what they're missing. They're just going to be very happy with the fact that their players are there, that, um, that they're getting to fulfill, you know, a lifelong dream. It doesn't get bigger than a world cup. Yeah, definitely. Well, last thing for you, Jason, um, you know, Washington spirit set a record for a home game in attendance. Almost 8,000 people came out last August to watch them at Audi field, the new home of DC United, you know, we've heard there could be some more games there this season. Um, you know, what have you heard? Uh, f- from the team themselves, they definitely want to go back. They considered it a very big success. Um, I think their attendance figure was like 20 or 30 people short of um, Bill Lynch at their press conference for that game uh, beforehand said that they would like to get 8,000. And they they were just short, but they were so close and they sold um, – I think they're, they're sweet sales um, in the stadium. Uh, I think that really helped uh, financially make that make sense. Um, So I think they were very excited and very pleased with how it went. Um, I know the players love the building. um, So I don't know if they get, if anyone's going to circle back and ask them about it, but if they do, they'll probably be told, yes, please. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it, it seems like the, the spirit, would like to go back there. There's always been a friendliness between them and DC United um, as organizations. Um, it sounds to me like they're probably going to try and if they can, if they get the schedule and it allows for it, they'd like to save those games for like a post world cup bump um, to, to yes. double. Down that. Yes. Um, so that I, th- I think that's their, their game plan right now is that um, if the schedule sets them up with a couple Saturday night games, uh, after the World Cup, I wouldn't be surprised to see 
maybe two of those. I don't think they're going to do more than two uh, at this stage. Um, uh, Chris Hummer said that they don't want to be a team that is playing in two stadiums, sort of like um, Chicago had that uh, one season where they played, I want to say four or five times at um, Toyota Park. Um, Those those numbers could be completely off, but that's what what I'm remembering. Um, I don't think they want that. I think they want people to know that, home is still the soccer plex, but that every once in a while they are going to come into DC and get the fans that, you know, running my site, we cover DC United uh, as well. And we get a lot of people who have kids and they live in the city, so they don't like to drive. And they're like, if there was a way for me to get to uh, the soccer plex easily, I would go to more games. I just can't, I can't fit it into my schedule or my life. Um, And I thought for the longest time, it's like, okay, it's an excuse. Um, You know, you guys make it out to the Plex when DC United played Open Cup games there in the past. So um, you could make it out there again for the spirit. But I will say to their credit that a lot of DC United fans did show up. They did back up those um, that rationale and they showed up and they made the you know, they set the record for attendance. Like you said, the building was loud. Um, it wasn't just the spirit mm. squadron. It was new fans getting into it. So um, awesome. there's, there's a lot to build on there um, if they keep coming back. And so uh, my, my guess is that it'll be two games this year and probably two games the year after that is my guess. Um, I'm more sure about the 2019 two games. Um, and if they, if, if the attendance stays where it was and they, they can um make it so that renting the stadium doesn't um, hurt their bottom line, then we'll probably see it more and more often. Yeah. And, and that's always the important formula. Uh, you know, if you can make it work in a bigger venue, certainly do. But the question is, you know, how, how do the finances fall into place? But anyway, you know, it, it sounds like it's going to be an exciting year to follow for the Washington spirit. And Jason, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Uh, thanks for having me, Don Jen. I'd love to come back anytime. time to wrap it up with the back four. We are less than a week away from the first 2019 G Believes Cup doubleheader. The first one will be in Philadelphia on Wednesday, February 27th, or I guess I should say it'll be in Chester, Pennsylvania, with England facing Brazil at 4 p.m. Eastern and then the U.S. women playing Japan at 7 p.m. Eastern. The U.S. game will be live on Fox Sports 1, the other game on ussoccer.com. And right after the whole She Believes tournament, or rather right before the She Believes tournament ends, NWSL preseason begins Monday, March 4th. And we've already seen several clubs release their preseason schedules. More importantly, it sounds like the NWSL regular season schedule could drop this week. So get your smartphones, Google calendars, and Wi-Fi connections ready. And if you don't already have these apps downloaded, do it now. Get the Yahoo Sports app and the NWSL app downloaded uh, so you can get familiar with those interfaces get everything you need be ready when the season starts april 13th and 14th and of course to add to your list of things to do you should be following mix zone and keeper notes on twitter those are my two feeds and of course that's mix zone with two x's uh keeper notes has a 
Houston um, angle to it. Um, but Mixone is all Woso. And through both of those channels, I tend to do giveaways during uh, U.S. national team games and, and other events. So you'll definitely want to follow those two accounts. And last, as I keep saying, the 2018 postseason edition of the Keeper Notes and Demisel Almanac, including color photos, player registry, coach info, all-time stat leaders, is available for purchase at KeeperNotes.com in PDF format. But more importantly, the first ever printed edition is available for pre-order. I just sent off the final version, so I should be receiving printed copies in the next few weeks. A few weeks. Very excited about that. So excited about that. And I am planning to release a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup this spring as well, so stay tuned for details. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. I appreciate everyone who's been listening, whether it's a couple weeks, a couple years, or even longer. I really appreciate it when you write a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening or share it with a friend or whatever. And hey, if you've got any feedback, I'm always open to that. Keeper at Keeper Notes. And of course, big thanks to Sean for putting this podcast together. But now she's anybody's girl.